Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. This is the show that many of you have been waiting for ever so patiently. We're all about Mass Effect 3 around here ever since the game's release on March 6th. After the Game Developers Conference ended, I sat down for a conversation with Sam Hewlett, Chris Velasco, and Sasha Dekitsian to talk about their musical contributions to the Mass Effect 3 experience. None of us had yet finished the game, so the body of the episode is completely spoiler-free. However, some of you asked me to include my thoughts on how Mass Effect 3 ended. You can hear my reaction at the very end of the show. This is something that's very exciting for me. And I think all of you, too, because you all, I don't know about you specifically, Chris, but I know that Sasha and Sam play the game. So how is oh, yeah, it for I play the game? Oh, you do, too, Chris? Oh, definitely. OK, great. Well, then tell me what you love about playing exactly. Mass Effect 3. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the Game Developers Conference last week, so I didn't get to play it uh, all last week when everyone else was. And I just started yesterday, so I've. Logged in maybe four hours. Excuses. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Sasha? I've pretty much played it um, since uh, launch day um, on the PC. Okay. And it's been, uh, I don't think I'm close to the end yet, but uh, it's been quite a ride so far. It's a great game. Indeed. And Sam, you were out at GDC too, so you haven't had a, I was. too you much see, of a see, chance. See, Sasha gave, us, Sasha gave us this excuse that he had work to do, and <laughs> all this time he's just been playing Mass Effect 3 all week long. He's this close to saving <laughs> the galaxy. Yeah, but he didn't help anybody at GDC. Oh, Sam, you're no. asking for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm about, I don't know how far I am, maybe just like five, six hours. I, I got in Saturday and I played it for a bit and... Uh, yeah, so I'm still working on it. Well, 40 hours in for me, and I still don't think I am Whoa. near the end. Wow. Uh, but as, as I was explaining to Sam before Chris and Sasha hopped on the horn, I'm a dawdler, so I always want to find every single upgrade or ammo pack or whatever, so I, you know, I'm slow. And you're still on the character creation screen yeah. <laughs> after 40 hours. <laughs> What you have experienced right. through, you know, working on the game and all of this, uh, I mean, how do you feel about the story in general? The one thing that really, you know, sort of sucks in quotes, um, this is Sasha, by the way, Yes. Um, to work on a game like that is that, you know, we're gamers ourselves and we love playing the first two games. And it's sort of inevitable that you kind of know the ending uh, be just because we scored sort of like the later Mm -hmm. set of levels in the game and there's really no way around it but from what we saw from the beginning it was very exciting and um, I thought it's really fitting I don't even 
I think personally know the real, real ending myself because <laughs> yeah. I try to save that. This is Chris. Yeah, we didn't work on the very, very uh, end. I think that was Sam. But mm-hmm. I specifically told the guys at Bioware, like, don't tell me anymore. Cause <laughs> they kept sending us levels and... And I'd call him up and I'd be like, ah, God, (laughs) I know too much. (laughs) It's amazing to work on a project like this. But, you know, as a fan of the game, too, it it also sucks because then you know so much about it. And we know all the a lot of surprises. Sam, you did. uh, You wrote music for the end. And I can't remember the name of one of the tracks. And I should have had it in front of me. But uh, an ending once and for all or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's called uh, an end once and for all. I worked on that cinematic at the end, and I didn't ask too many questions. I just asked enough to get a a sense of the scene and how to write it. And I heard there's like a dozen different endings or something crazy, so I've only seen two. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, it's still kind of a surprise. I guess I'm just waiting to, to see for myself. was then your favorite part about getting to work on these games for Chris and Sasha you came in you know toward the end I would say of the second but long before the third and Sam you've been around since the first so what's it what's your favorite part this is Sasha when I first or when we first played Mass Effect of course the first one the the one thing that I really liked or enjoyed was the sort of hybrid sound of the score um sort of merging that arpeggiated synth 80s vibe that's what I got from it with the orchestra and I thought it was really unique and you know the game was of course great too I remember back then at E3 people were freaking out and Mm. oh Mass Effect Mass Effect so of course we were looking at every possibility to get you know involved in it and then when we got uh, the call to work on uh, two of the DLCs for Mass Effect 2 one of which bridged uh, I think Bridges Mass Effect 2 to, uh, to Mass Effect 3 yes. called Arrival. Yes. That gave us a really good chance to, you know, get to know the team, get to know the people that work uh, so hard on these games. And, uh, of course, when the call came for Mass Effect 3, we were very ecstatic and mm-hmm. excited about it. And, um, yeah, I mean, gosh, it's been just a ride, you know. Chris and Sam, what what are some of your favorite parts about getting to be a part of this? This is Chris. Besides, you know, just being uh, musically rewarding to to work on this, I just think it's, uh, you know, at least in the video game world, this is, Mass Effect has turned out to be, you know, a pretty important piece of sort of sci-fi canon. And um, it makes me feel like this was our chance to work on something cool like, you know, like Star Wars was. We've done a ton of games and... It's nice to work on one that has all this history and has stuff that people actually care about rather than 
there's a bunch of monsters and you got to shoot them and then <laughs> that's the end. And, uh, you know, this is just, it's so deep. And, uh, you know, you said you're already 40 hours in and not even close to the end yet, maybe. And yeah, yeah there's just, it's just a really, a lot of depth in the game and it's fun to be a, a part of that franchise. Sam, how about you? For me personally, I feel kind of attached to the franchise, not just being there since the first one, but it was kind of like my one of my first games, actually. Uh, I had done some stuff before, some indie stuff, and nothing really that was uh, quite the scale of Mass Effect. So for me, it was uh, a big deal, and it was very exciting to not just work on a game of this scale, but also work on having that as one of my first things kind of out of the gate. You, Sam, had the opportunity to score one of my personal favorite moments in any game I've ever played, and it happens in the very first Mass Effect and it would be Commander Shepard's very first encounter with a Reaper. And the script writing here, uh, speaking about what Chris was saying about just the sci-fi canon, I mean, the script writing in this scene, I think, is magnificent, and the music is so appropriate. So what mm-hmm. can you tell me about writing for that scene? Casey Hudson had a bunch of musical references for Mass Effect 1, and one of those was actually music from Star Trek films, uh, the ones scored by Goldsmith. Some of that was the inspiration as far as the low strings and low brass, that kind of ominous sound. When you wrote it, did you have any idea how significant that theme was to become? No, no. It's, it's kind of funny because you write these things and you really, as you're writing them, there's no sense of what's going to happen to it. You know, is it going to be kind of uh, a smaller theme or something bigger that lasts a while? And No, you really, it's kind of unexpected. themes from Mass Effect 1, though, came back. And one of those was Uncharted Worlds, which everybody loves. So tell me about that piece. That piece was actually one of my demo tracks for Mass Effect 1. Oh, wow. Believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember early on I was demoing for it, and that was something I came up with. And the reference was Risky Business, believe it or not. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. If, if you listen to, uh, I think the track's called Love on a Real Train. kind of it's been there through all three of them what other themes of yours have kind of trickled their way in that maybe you didn't expect um well the main theme uh makes a comeback mm-hmm. and uh the victory theme which happens at the end of the of the first mass effect um i sort of had a plan to bring it into mass effect 2 but that didn't happen it, it's kind of hard to plan ahead these things on, on where you're going to use certain themes because you don't really know what's going to happen sure. in the sequel sure but it, it made a comeback in the third game though And, of course, Sovereign's theme peaks here and there in the third game. Chris and Sovereign. 
Sasha, you wrote a ton of music for Mass Effect 3. And actually, you know, one of the things that unfortunately happens when teams of composers write is a lot of people get miscredited, right? No, that's only natural when there's, there's you know, I think they've got, what, like three hours of music in mm-hmm. the game or something. And, you know, obviously you don't know who's well, is who's during the game. But. Well, it's it's frustrating when you read, you know, when you, this is Sasha, uh, when you go on YouTube and, you know, these people listen to all these tracks and then you you have these comments, you know, and then this guy did this. Oh, he's great, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, that's my track, you know. <laughs> but you can't say anything because we're not supposed to. This is the way it is. I mean, like, like yeah. you said, with this amount of people on the team, it's, it's okay, you know. So how um, much did you actually score for the game then? Uh, we did about just a little over an hour and a half. I was working, when was that, 2003, 2004, I had an opportunity to pitch for a big uh, Ubisoft title. And at the time I was working by myself, so I was looking for somebody to collaborate with. And back in that time, it wasn't really common for composers to, you know, team up and sort of work together. So people were kind of weirded out. They were like, wait, you you need what? (laughs) And uh, yeah, I just wanted to have somebody, you know, who knows more about orchestral music than I do and who knows how to write it really well. So it happens that I actually go onto this forum. I don't even remember. It was uh, Northern Sounds. Something, yeah, where, where <laughs> I thought or I, I, I figured there's professional people there and uh, posted a um, looking, you know, to collaborate with somebody for, for a pitch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't expect anything. And I got, um, I think, 50 emails wow. the next day. Gee. And uh, Chris was one of them. And I think... Um, you know, I, I kind of sort of narrowed it down pretty quickly because uh, Chris wasn't in L.A. You know, we, we just connected and uh, worked on this pitch together. And actually, we did not get that job. But it was a good experience. And we yeah. have been working together ever since. Yeah, it, it's it's really weird how that how it all turned out, too, because that that particular forum is not something that I, I frequented very often. And I just happened to go on there that one day and saw this post. And, and it did seem... Like legit. it was like, yeah, it's, it felt legit because you see that kind of stuff all the time, but I was still not totally sure. And like, hmm, maybe this is just some, some fanboy looking to collect music from, from composers or something. <laughs> uh, right. So I, I actually didn't send him any music because Sasha, I think you said like, oh, you know, send me, send me tracks or something. And, right. and I was like, hmm, I don't know. That, that sounds fishy. So, <laughs> so I just emailed him and, mm-hmm. and gave him like my, my credit list and, I had just finished the first God of War back then, so I was proud of that. But oh, definitely. But to pad up the resume a bit, <laughs> these are things that are not on my website anymore, but I had uh, oh, a little game called Barbie of Swan Lake. <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty amazing to think, you know, six years later, going from Barbie of Swan Lake to uh, Mass Effect 3, it's, <laughs> that's pretty cool.
Sam, I very much enjoyed the piece called The Fate of the Galaxy because it changes tone quite a bit toward the end. Um, Portions of the Citadel theme kind of come back. What can you tell me about that piece? That one actually has some more Star Trek influence uh, in the beginning part with, once again, it's like low strings and this kind of brooding sound, um, foreboding. And uh, and then it kind of changes around 50 seconds. That kind of brings in the whole Mass Effect sound with the synths and uh, the six-note motif that people are, are familiar with that's been kind of introduced in, uh, in the first game. Sasha, one of my favorite tracks of yours is the track Prothean Beacon, because there are so many layers happening here. Right, uh, and, and very many layers that are kind of happening off in the distance. And I'd love to hear about how you constructed this piece and also a, a, a very great scene. Um, if you haven't played it yet, Absolutely. it's a wonderful scene. The, the track is obviously very heavy synthesized. Um, I think it's mostly synthesizers, in fact, you know, it's so hard. I mean, I could go in detail about how this track was constructed, but when I start, when I get, you know, like a mission or, or a scene, I will sit down and sort of think, what do I feel? And then try to take these emotions and try to find the sound for it and then do the sound design, obviously, which is what I do. For me, it's important that when you hear this track that it's sort of like an adventure. You're sort of taken on a journey that reflects what's happening in the scene. Yeah, you know, it really, um, that track really does evolve over time and it is mostly synthetic but I, I like how it it has this sort of organic nature to it there is a bit of live vocal like way in the background that that uh, you can hear that I think helps bring that organic quality to it also exactly what's cool about that track too is that the game is just so huge and, and epic all the time mm-hmm. that uh, it's kind of nice to have a sort of this sort of mystical chill out track once in a while that did that for you, uh, it seems like, for, for both you and um, Chris, is the Aralac Company piece. It, again, this one starts in a different place Absolutely. than where it ends, very different place. So can you tell me what's happening during this piece? This piece actually plays, and I think I just played this um, last, last night again, was when uh, one of the Krogans sacrifices himself for Shepard's cause, I mean, for, you know, for the entire cause uh, to save Earth, obviously. Mm-hmm. The trick is in that the first part is gameplay, mm-hmm. and the second half of the cue that you hear is actually written for the cinematic. I don't think there were two separate pieces, but in order to sort of to tie them together, it's, it's pretty tricky, and they really did a great job. Uh, it's a really smooth transition. Yes. Yeah, and the track actually by itself works really well, too, with the piano motif. Mm-hmm. Sort of like emphasizing the, you know, the loss of a friend and and basically somebody sacrificing themselves in war. Mm-hmm. 
Sam, when I was a kid, games made me cry because I couldn't beat a level. <laughs> but now yeah. they make me cry because of uh, moments like your song, I Was Lost Without You. That was such a moving scene for me between my shepherd and for me it was Liara. So what can you tell me about uh, writing this piece? That was actually uh, one of my favorite ones to work on. Rob sent me a bunch of video files of uh, the various romance scenes, which is kind of, it's just research, that's all. Just a bunch of, uh, you know, just uh, researching uh, love scenes, that's all. <laughs> just loads and loads of video anime. Right. Again, what are you doing research? Um, <laughs> Sam. How many? How many video files are we talking here? Uh, let's, no. let's move on. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, 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 let's hear it. <laughs> No, but there are various scenes. Some are conversations where you're kind of building um, a relationship with your love interest. Mm -hmm. And then there is a few where they're actually, you know, there's a culmination of uh, what they've been working towards. So one scene actually that I kind of focused on when writing the music was the romance between Shepard and Liara. It's kind of funny you bring that up because that's actually one of my favorite ones too. Mm -hmm. um, the writer on that, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to butcher her last name, but Sylvia F. I'll leave it at that. Okay. And, uh, she wrote the scene, actually, and it's just really well-written, well I think, dialogue-wise, and, and the whole scene and the pacing. So I kind of narrowed in on that one. And so the music is actually divided into sections. There's a piano piece that we just kind of called the intimacy music, where it's just this soft piano loop that plays in the background during, during conversations. Mm -hmm. And then there's two more levels. One is another, another piano piece that is uh, more as you get closer to the culmination. And then there's the actual full-on orchestral and synth romance piece. And uh, for that one, I actually brought in um, a live violinist friend of mine, Jeff Ball, and he recorded about eight takes, I think, of violin and layered it over the, the track just to add a bit of realism and a bit of a human touch to it. And I had a cellist, uh, Darren Cullen, who also contributed. They did a great job on it. to the writer who did the scene and apparently um, I'm not sure how many scenes they did this for but for sure they did it with Shepard and Liara they actually motion captured like an actual couple just kind of hanging out and acting the scene out together and that's how they kind of captured that chemistry oh. and I didn't even know that until today isn't that amazing? Sasha, what are, what are some of the pieces that really had an effect on you? One of my favorites still, even though it's, you know, it's pretty over the top, but I tend to, to like that kind of stuff too. I really like the, uh, the Reaper chase. That one was, for us, I think, just kind of like, you know, one of those kitchen sink cues where you just put everything in and make it as over the top as possible. The scene that it accompanies, I, I can't wait to, to get there. Just seeing the uh, sort of the unfinished gameplay of it. When we were writing it, it was it was pretty epic.
say, you know, uh, some pieces they start and are for a certain purpose, but end up used differently. So the character creation screen theme, as you want to call it, uh, kind of started up as a completely different piece and just evolved into that. It's just, you know, mellow, slow, and not too over the top. And I kind of uh, have to say that would be one of my favorite pieces. I was actually going to ask you both about that piece specifically, because that's a place Mm -hmm. where we, you know, you can either spend probably 30 seconds on that menu, or you can spend an hour. (laughs) But you didn't know that they were going to put that track there, or did you know? The track actually started out as, believe it or not, as a combat cue. I believe there's another version of it that is very close to this, which is actually still the combat cue. But how this game works was that we have, you know, sort of these combat cues, which are called combat high. And then we have uh, a medium version of that same cue, which is a little bit toned down. And then uh, a low version, which has uh, fewer elements in it. And I just came up with this version one night, and I emailed it to Rob. And he said, oh, this is great. We're going to use it as the you know, character creation screen. And that's how that came about. Yeah, it's just one of those happy accidents where you write one cue for one thing, and then you, you kind of put a little distance between yourself and the music for a few days, and you listen again, and you think, oh, you know, actually, if we took this out and this out and changed just one little thing here... and uh, suddenly it works for an entirely different scene that it was never really meant for, but uh, it's kind of cool when that happens. Hey, this is Sam. It's kind of neat how Bioware will take mm-hmm. what we've written and what they decide to do with, with certain pieces exactly. of music that weren't designed for what we were told. They were. For example, like the main menu theme was actually, uh, I wrote that for a speech scene at the very end of the game, and they just dropped it in, and I was like, okay, sure, and, and it worked out okay. different intensity levels of these tracks um, my personal problem with this is is that developers would always say okay well it's easy just take this out or this string line or this and it just never works that way and I'm sure Sam can concur on that that you end up basically writing two more new tracks because you know when you have uh, a medium intensity track for a battle queue when you remove certain elements sometimes or most of the time something doesn't feel right it's sort of wait this sure. point uh, feels kind of weird. or So you just basically keep certain elements but then rewrite stuff to make it uh, work better. And it's it's a lot of work and it's also a lot of fun. But uh, I think most people don't actually know that. Yeah, I think they, they really kind of nailed the uh, the interactivity with the music this time uh, particularly well. I, I do remember playing last night and noticing because, you know, each one of these big combat cues, we deconstruct uh, – you know, multiple times over, and I don't know exactly how they're they're running in the game. If they're all exactly playing at the same time, and they just right. drop one out, and then but I think so they're like they're like live cross fading into each other. It actually um, really stuck out to me last night because I was listening for it, but 
Um, I thought, oh wow, they did a great job swapping between, you know, like Different a levels, heavy yeah. combat down yeah. to a light to a medium and, and back, and, and right. it, it really worked flawlessly. I thought so. They yeah. uh, kudos to to Rob and, and Mike for doing that. Obviously, all three of us thank the guys over at Bioware, EA, uh, you know, um, Rob, uh, Michael, Kent, uh, Casey, of course. And, uh, you know, we're just happy to be, be a part of this franchise and um, glad everybody enjoys the music. And mm -hmm. uh, Chris? Yeah, and, and thanks to you, too, for taking the time to interview us. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Thanks. Oh, well, that's my job yeah. is to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we thank you. It's been a pleasure. So thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, the whole Bioware team was just, they did a phenomenal job um, on this game. It's just, it's out of this world. They did. It really is. They did. It's good stuff. Now I'll let you go so we can all get back and play it. Okay. <laughs> Let's all good. play it. Okay. Good idea. You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. Thanks to KPFK in Los Angeles and WBEZ in Chicago for additional technical support. Our next episodes focus on Darren Korb's award-winning music for Bastion and Austin Wintry's gorgeous score for Journey. And we'll have one more special episode before taking a very short summer break. If you have comments or questions about any of our shows, feel free to send your feedback to classicalmpr.org slash topscore. You can also ask questions and follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Topscore Podcast. Yo mismo me sumaría a su campaña para mantener el puritarismo yanqui intacto. Mañana mismo lo voy a acompañar para que pongamos rejas y vigilemos con armas de fuego toda la frontera. Con Canadá. Para evitar que los liberales del norte nos invadan, especialmente esos que hablan francés. Y aparte que se dejen de traficar fármacos y otras drogas que venden más baratas por allá. Este es un tema de seguridad nacional. No más extranjero, claro que sí. Hello. Hello, can you guys hear me in studio? So some of you asked me to tell you what I thought about the end of Mass Effect 3, and here, here goes. The first time I went through the end and I got to the choices, you know, the blue, red, or green ending, I walked up to the red ending just to check it out, because Captain Anderson had gone up there, and the game forced me to actually choose that ending. That was super annoying. But I let it play out, I kept watching, I got to the part where the Normandy lands and Liara walked off the Normandy with Joker. How? She was with me for the final push and clearly died. And how did the Normandy get into space and how did it outrun the explosion? 
Well, anyway, I went through the bother of loading a previous save, and this time brought Javik with me because I just didn't care if Javik died. I picked the blue ending, and the two differences more or less were that Javik came off the Normandy with Liara, and the different color that indicates the, the, the Reaper color and the destroyed mass relays. So it ended up that my shepherd went through the scene with the elusive man and the catalyst twice, and I totally felt indoctrinated both times. We're supposed to, based on how that cinematic with the elusive man plays out. I felt manipulated by the catalyst. It's like we've all decided to ignore the fact that Shepard spent three games surrounded by Reaper tech. So yes, I'm one of the weird ones who subscribes to the indoctrination theory. And the fact that I'm recording this inevitably means I'm wrong. Honestly, though, it's like everybody is angry because there is no happy ending. It's not even really bittersweet when Joker and friends pop out of the Normandy at the end. Whatever, I'm working on finishing the game completely for the second time, and I'm very much looking forward to more stories from BioWare.